Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, "What the f are you talking about? You insane Hollywood ass." So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. Farms Boss Podcast with your host Jack Creswell. Whether you farm it, service it, or just love it, this podcast is for you. We'll bring you the techniques and technologies you can implement into your day straight from the leaders and innovators themselves. Spread the farm's advice so that we can reach more farmers right across Australia. Follow us on all of your socials at Farms Advice and let's get into this episode. On today's episode, we dive into biosecurity threats within Australian grain producers what we're doing on farm, but also what we're doing at the broader border of Australia as threats come in across from importing and also for us exporting into different markets. I am joined by an exciting panel. We're trying to make biosecurity a little bit more sexier for the industry so that we can actually look at these risks, see where we can prevent um, rather than intervention into it. But I'll let them introduce themselves. We are joined by Jim Stewart and Colin from GPA Australia, the inaugural CEO. Let's kick this one off. Well, g'day and welcome to this episode. Going back into GPA Australia and all the work they do for the grain farmers right across Australia, we've got an interesting one. I think it's my first having four people, including myself, in on the podcast. But let's go around, just introduce ourselves um, and a little bit of your background, how you got into the role that you are currently in. Colin, we'll kick it off with you, mate. Yeah, well, you haven't got an hour to do this podcast, Jack, to find out how I became the chief executive of Grain Produce Australia. But uh, Snapshot is um, was a, a journalist for a long time covering rural issues, a grains writer with the Farm Weekly, worked in the Canberra Press Gallery during that very quiet and uneventful period where several prime ministers were sacked and replaced by new ones from all sides of politics and um done a few other things since then. So now I'm, I'm really proud to be working for Grain Produce Australia and Grain Produce Australia works for our state members and uh, our grain growing members throughout Australia and the communities of grassroots networks that uh, they represent. Yeah, Unreal and also the inaugural CEO of GPA um, with a bit of a touch of cricket in there with Brad Hodge coming on with your mental health program that we might be able to touch on later in the piece. Absolutely, yep. Beautiful. Let's go down to Jim there, mate. How's things? And give us a little bit of a wrap-up, who Jim is behind the audio. Yeah, thanks, Jack. It's great to be here. Um, me personally, I've uh, been with the Department of Agriculture in Victoria for about 25 years. Um, before that, I was in horticulture. Um, and in the last uh, 13, 14 years, I've been involved with Plant Health Australia and uh, GPA and the Grains On-Farm Biosecurity Program. So um, it's been uh, growing stronger in those uh, nearly 15 years and um, we're looking forward to doing some uh, great work in the, in the future. Um, yeah, lots of highlights, which I'm sure we can go into in terms of what activities we get up to, but um, that, that'll be it for introduction. Yeah. 
great stuff. I'm sure we'll dive into them later on in the piece. And Stuart, introduce yourself. Where are you from and how did you lead to the role that you're in today? Sure. Thanks, Jack. Yeah, um, I'm with Plant Health Australia. Um, that's a member-based organisation. We're about 21 years old. Our members include 39 different plant industry um, uh, representative organisations, as well as nine government members. Um, I've got a background in um, in grains and grains R&D. I'd spent 19 years with the Grains Research and Development Corporation, um, doing a lot of grower engagement and understanding what those issues were on farm. Beautiful and great to have you here, Colin. Thanks for putting the team together, um, a stellar team that it is, and discussing the much needed. Um, we've probably seen it in the paper all too often, but also not often enough, talking about biosecurity on farm and how it's impacting grain growers right across Australia for this episode. So biosecurity, who wants to kick it off? What is it? Where is it? And how are we tackling this big piece? That's a great question for Stuart and Jim. Sure. Um, yeah, this is, a, a, and it's a question we're more and more asked, um, as we've seen it more and more um, in the news, uh, in the papers, um, and in grower conversations, um, whether it be at, you know, updates and field days and things like that. Um, so biosecurity really simply is the, um, the measures and strategies that we put in place to prevent the introduction and or the spread of new pests and disease into Australia and our plant industries, which we're going to focus on today. It also covers animal um, and the pathogens and diseases of, of animals and, and humans as well. But today we're just going to focus on the plants, plant side of things and grains in particular. So it's those measures and practices that we want to stop being introduced and or spread. Um, so, um, and that's, um, um, so, and we can do a range of different things on farm. Um, so what are the things we can do to, to minimise the spread of diseases where they come in? We can't do a lot on farm about preventing them from coming into the country, but we can do things to stop their spread. And, and, and they're the same things that, um, that, uh, that work for our endemic pests, the pests and diseases um, of our crops that we see um, on, a, on, a, on a yearly basis anyway. Um, so why is it important? Um, the grains industry currently spend about $5 billion annually controlling weeds, pests and diseases, right? We're seeing a spike in prices at the moment, um, but um, we don't need any more pests and diseases to come in that's going to increase that cost, right? Um, so that, that's a substantial cost. We need to keep downward pressure on that. So we don't want to be introducing any, any and we don't want um, by accident or on purpose or consciously introducing new pests and diseases are going to contribute to that cost because it's a substantial cost. So we're going to try to do everything that we possibly can to recognise what are the big, the big pests and diseases that are going to have create the most impact to say, how can we stop them even leaving their, leaving their, um, their, their, their country of, of origin before they even come here? How do we detect them at the border? How do we stop them at the border? And then if they do um, manage to get through our, because um, we don't have a, um, you know, a hundred foot tall wall around our borders, um, you know, they can through natural means come in. How do we stop them? And how do we, how do we detect them early enough to be able to eradicate them? Um, so, and we're doing that all to protect the bottom line of grain growers. Yeah, I think when you put that, uh, the figure in front of what biosecurity is, $5 billion, if we didn't have to spend so much on biosecurity, maybe at the farmer level more so that we could push value into technology that's going to drive our crops yield, um, reduce the amount of inputs that we may need, especially when fert and fuel is through the roof at the moment. We can't yeah. get away from not adding fuel into the diesel into the tractor, but with that input cost as well going through the roof and just the sort of, the broader um, value that biosecurity can impact on Australian farmers and how they're impacted by that as well through that five yeah. billion expense to the industry. Yeah. yeah, Jack, I guess if I could jump in as well, where the, the rubber hits the road there is where the um, the grain biosecurity officers uh, come in, and uh, there's one of us in each state, all funded by um, GPA, and I'm sure uh, Colin and Stuart can go into that, but a lot of the measures we uh, promote through the various means are actually uh, behavioural, they're not actually uh, costly, 
So it's basically things like surveillance, rigorous and regular surveillance, and that's for your early detection. Um, there's also uh, being informed uh, with the latest fact sheets and manuals that we uh, distribute. There's self-assessment, there's online training, all sorts of things to make sure that farmers are biosecurity aware and have actually got some biosecurity practices in place now for the endemic pests, uh, weeds and diseases that will stop uh, hopefully in its tracks, any new pest or disease that comes in from overseas, which we call exotic. Um, and other things, practices that some industries take up better than others, but clean on, clean off and just controlling the movement of you know, people and traffic and machinery onto your, your property um, by making sure they're clean before they come on and may not be have, have any hitchhikers uh, attached. So a lot of these things are behavioural, they don't cost any money, perhaps a bit of time. Um, uh, and then we've got all the resources and printed material and uh, farm gate signs, et cetera, all paid for by uh, grain grower levies uh, to back that up. Yeah. As opposed to just not going blazing into a paddock to see, just do a quick crop check um, without cleaning off and to see how that can impact itself. What sort of uh, biosecurity risks have we come about in the past within Australia, maybe flushing 20 years or so? Yeah, we don't even have to look that far back, Jack. Um, in, in the plant industry, we'd probably deal with multiple um, incidents each year. Um, you know, some of the ones of, of recent note, um, fall armyworm back in 2000 um, came in the north of Australia um, and rapidly um, established and, and, and has spread. But each year it retracts back to the north just because it doesn't like the cold. Um, you know, we've also seen um, a number of... Um, uh, uh, incidents um, and um, interceptions of things like capra beetle um, that are coming through on non-regulated non pathways. What we mean by non-regulated is that, you know, they're not coming in on plant or imported plant goods or, or grain, imported grain that we're bringing into to Australia. They're coming in on, on, on packaging, cardboard packaging or, or um, fridges or um, you know, babies' high chairs, those sort of things that aren't necessarily seen as a biosecurity risk. Um, so there's um, some really important ones there, and it's, um, it's proving that um, the systems and processes we've got in place are picking up those things um, um, before they get a good hold, before they you know, get a hold on, get a toe in into Australia. Yeah, we'll speak yeah. about this with Barry Large in one of the previous episodes about that the, um, they were coming in, travelling in on brand new white goods. How yeah. we has the Defence of Australia actually, what are they doing? Are they cleaning these fridges um, now off the reaction of what's happened? Yeah, well, um, so two, two, two things here. Um, we can't, um, and we never have been able to rely on one line of defence, right? So it's really kind of with our, a double line, if not a triple line of defence. Um, and bringing in what Jim was saying before, um, you know, um, we've got um, uh, um, border inspections, um, but um, just because there's a, a there's a lot of pressure at that border, we need not only the community, but um, but people in rural Australia and grain growers themselves to be on the lookout for things that are unusual, things that are, are not quite right. Um, that's been built up over a number of years, and we've seen with the um, the um, uh, you know, the, the, the fridges in particular, you know, it's been people of the, of the community that have, you know, opened up a brand new fridge and saw some, you know, tiny, they are, and they are small, tiny beetles in there and rang the hotline. They, they, they responded straight away, which is what our key messages have been, that if you are importing goods or you are receiving imported goods and things aren't quite right or they've got contaminants in there, that speak up to action. So it's one to be aware um, of, you know, that we are importing goods. And the second one, just to, to ring up and report, because if you report, we can actually do something about it. If you don't report, um, yeah, we've, we've got a really, uh, we haven't got any hope. Yeah, definitely not active off the back of that. But Jim, you were about to say something? Oh, it's just that uh, the system does work and the interconnectivity between uh, the government agencies, which um, the biosecurity officers belong to, as well as, I guess the facilitating agency, which was Plant Health Australia, um, through all of those networks, we, we managed to um, undertake a massive surveillance operation where the, all the, the cardboard would have gone. So we spent a lot of time in landfills and recycling centres with capra beetle traps. Uh, and over the course of about 12 months, we were able to, to prove that we had, uh, in fact, not, it hadn't gone past the early detection. And we are now still, in fact, 
free from uh, capra beetles. So um, there's a few advantages there with the, the large government agencies as well as the direction from um, the, the grains industry who sits on um, you know, the board, the steering committee at the Plant Health Australia. So um, it's an interconnected system that really does uh, work. And I think that's a good segue, Jack, if you like to talk about Grain Producers Australia's role on biosecurity. Yeah. I think um, you mentioned Barry Large there, who's our chair. Um, Grain Producers Australia has been representing um, growers who pay a levy, um, not just for the Grains Research and Development um, Corporation, which is 0.99% of their um, farm gate grain sales levy, but also for Plant Health Australia. Um, it's one of those things that often goes on unnoticed, and Barry's been doing this for a long time, um, representing growers um, under those arrangements through Plant Health Australia, which includes the Emergency Plant Pest and Response Deed. And not all growers would be aware of it, but the, the E, well, the deed as we call it, that they pay 0.005% of their levy towards that, and 0.01% of their levy goes towards Plant Health Australia. And between those two, we've got, um, as you say, a lot more works going in in recent years into preventative measures um, and GPA for our members and increasing engagement on biosecurity. We also have a GPA biosecurity committee, which Barry chairs. And uh, we set that up in recent years and that allows us to bring experts along who can talk to our members about those high level issues around biosecurity and what we need to do to advocate better protections for growers and of course, Mike, our, for example, our election policy document this year, we called for increased focus from the government on preventative measures. It's one of those areas that we all, you know, most farmers or our members are saying to us, we simply just don't want these um, pests um, getting onto the farm. We don't want to deal with things like capra beetle at all. We want to keep it out. Um, the estimates are that capra beetle would cost our industry um, $15.5 billion over 20 years and remove access to key markets. So GPA has been doing a lot of this work behind the scenes, working with people uh, like Stuart and Jim. Um, you know, the, that levy has been funding the um, Grain Farm Biosecurity Offices. So people like Jim who are in each of the states, working with their experts in state government um, and sharing that responsibility and also working together to deliver those pragmatic tools that Jim's talking about. I mean, Jim, you might want to talk about that press release we did recently and some of the media you've done on that, the vehicle movement toolkit, which we've provide, provided. That's a perfect example of some of the one percenters that are making a difference or can make a difference. Um, but another high level, um, you know, line that we're hearing or statement that we've hearing recently from senior biosecurity officials is around the importance of preventative measures. And we know with um, coronavirus, I think that's helped sharpen people's understanding of the importance of biosecurity and how these small things are often unnoticeable to the eye can get out and about and have a big impact on what we do, not just the economy and what farmers are doing, growing and selling grain like you, Jack, but also just for, for our lives and the impact that could have. Um, but, you know, we're being told that for every dollar that's invested into preventative measures, it saves $30 in eradication. And it's a great opportunity now with coronavirus for us to really sharpen government thinking about the importance and the value of investing in preventative measures, um, better early detection and monitoring as well. Um, but I, look, I'm really proud of the work that GPA does in this area. And I'm really proud to work alongside people like Stuart and Jim and, and our biosecurity, for example, uh, you know, is a real great way for people to get together and um, sharpen our discussion and understanding of what this means for grain farmers yeah, I think the risk is there. People are probably most of the time unaware of the work going on behind the scenes of these pests coming into Australia, but also the work going behind the scenes of what GPA is doing, integrating with the different systems around Australia. I'd imagine it's quite dynamic in terms of going state to state, dealing with different policies. But for on the podcast, I try to stick away from the politics of everything. But with this, this is such a huge risk. Um, new government coming in, how are we actually getting biosecurity front of mind for the politicians and how are we going to drive change so that we don't have to spend $5 billion, $15 billion, um, in losses for the grains industry? Well, that's a great question. Um, we had a briefing from the new minister last week for the grains industry. Um, biosecurity is one of his priorities at the moment. Uh, farm labour is another one. 
And I think sustainability and climate change so are also longer term priorities. But we know there's um, FMD on our doorstep for the um, livestock industry and lumpy skin disease. So he's actually managing these now. He's got to hit the ground running. He's got to get his team together. He's very lucky to have someone with um, Andrew Metcalf's skill and experience um, as the head of the department, giving him um, that support as he transitions into the role. Um, but he seems like a very pragmatic person who's um, an experienced politician, but a problem solver, having been a chief of staff to Anna Bly when she was Queensland Premier. So there's nothing like an actual threat to sharpen your thinking, especially when you're coming into a senior political role like that. And of course, grains, well, you know, we know what our threats are, we know what we need to do. And um, we, 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 you know, we're going to have impacts if the um, Australian livestock industry does um, get FMD, and we hope it doesn't, um, because of the amount of grain that goes into livestock. So everyone's going to feel it. So shared responsibility and shared accountability are big things that we talk about um, in the biosecurity space. And as I say, we're not looking for a pat on the back here, GPA. It's just important that growers know that their levy comes out of their grain check. And this is the sort of work that we're doing to strengthen the system. And GPA, you know, we're open for people who are willing workers and want to get in and help strengthen the system. Yeah, I think that goes on to say the impact that you are having with GPA. Was that, you were talking about Murray Watts before? Yeah, the, the new Ag Minister. Look, he's well aware of what the biosecurity risks are. I think it's one of those areas people know what problems are and the threats, but these things are quite small and it's hard to, you know, we're an island nation, so that's a biosecurity or a marketing advantage for our produce. But, uh, it, you know, these things are quite small. It's hard to monitor every single nook and cranny. So you've got to manage the risk accordingly. Government investment has to be targeted accordingly. The best thing is it's front of mind. And I think it's a good time. We've got a lot of levies around at the moment from the last big grain harvest. So it's probably a good time to invest in some of these preventative measures and strengthening them. And that was the message that we put out there in, as part of our election policy document. Um, it's great to have people out there, out there like Jim as well on the ground uh, working on um, these things every day and what they do for a job. But at a higher level, that, that's our, our role is to advocate that better investment and targeted investment to make sure these things don't get in to start with to protect our growers. And Jack, if I could just jump in there, it's also about your, um, you know, your area of concern. I mean, uh, it's good that we've got Colin and Barry uh, talking to the politicians, but at the, um, you know, again, where the rubber meets the road, um, mm -hmm. that's not my, or even a farm, at the farm gate, it's not our sort of area of um, too much concern. We can't do a lot about it, but what we can, they can do about uh, is having, as Colin was saying before, having a conversation um, about a risk matrix or a risk that, anyone visiting the farm uh, might pose to their productivity. So it's just simple as having a conversation and we've released recently just a really simple risk matrix about what is the risk and what, what's the likelihood of something happening and just having a conversation with whoever's coming onto your, your property. Uh, and we've also had a, a good run in the media with other simple things too, like um, uh, trying to avoid roadside dumping of grain, which uh, we're seeing a lot more of. Uh, which could become a biosecurity risk. Uh, and it's these kinds of loose ends that might prove to be uh, problematic if we do get um, uh, another detection and we need to really clamp down and find out where the pest, how far it might have gone to. Um, but yeah, it doesn't have to be um, high level. It's just simply talking to people visiting your farm and working out what sort of risk they might have to your, your productivity and then taking um, mitigations, whether it's a washdown or a, uh, a parking bay or, or just excluding them altogether. Um, and that, that helps you uh, prevent um, yeah, the entry of, of hopefully uh, anything nasty. I think the listeners of the podcast are always looking for the one percenters more so than just going to revolutionise what they're doing on farm. They're not going to stop biosecurity once tomorrow what they're doing but they want to know like, should they be washing their ute down i think last year if i drove a truck up to moree i could have nearly filled it up by driving the park bays with like just the empty half ton of grain um, out there unfortunately it's happened um but even in cost the value of what that grain was especially at the moment of what it would be worth to the farmer um but maybe not the truckie going across the waybridge is the difference colin what were you going to say there 
Um, I'd just be interested to know what biosecurity means for you and your business, Jack. I think from a standpoint, we're predominantly livestock, but cropping as well when we can. Um, having the ability to sort of segregate where the risk can be for cars coming on farm, um, and then we're just using our own farm vehicles that we know are clean. Because we're quite close to town here, we do need to be on top of it a little bit um, and how that can work going into our crop paddocks um, mid-crop and also for livestock, it is the problem um, right across the board for us as mixed farming enterprise. It is an issue. Uh, we look to what GPA is doing um, to MLA, what they're doing, just to see what we can be doing. Um, and these templates that are designed just to give us a little refresh on what's going on, I think. Biosecurity, I actually never really worried about it, but Dad was just always up me to keep, keep in routine of just having to think about what it is. It's in thin air until it's there. Um, and prevention against intervention for what biosecurity risks yeah. are for us as a farmer. And I think yeah. younger farmers are sort of, I know, trying to get a hold of what is biosecurity and how can I physically do it. I think a lot of people physically want to do something. So washing down the utes is a good way, washing down all your equipment um, before going, maybe you're contracting or something. I think contracting would be even worse um, in terms of having to do stuff on different farms, cleaning down, especially before you get there, not spreading the seed, the husk that you get after harvest. Um, but no, it's interesting times. I think as farmers, our family farm, we're just having to be more aware of what, what's going on um, and be able to react and move to the conditions of what's happening. Maybe something is spread and we need to be on our toes a little bit more. Yep. Um, but from that, where do you see in a break area, I was going to ask this before, in a breakout of Capravetal or something, how can we actually contain this on farm? If Like if it does happen on farm, um, I don't know if I have any examples of it. What, what do you do initially? I could jump in if you like, guys, and you yep. just, um, uh, if I miss anything, well, I'll just say at the outset, Jack, that we've got in place already a sentinel silo program uh, around the country in, in most states, and, and uh, uh, that includes um, sentinel areas at the ports as well. So we're looking for capra beetle for early detection. So we're hoping that that might give us, might raise the flag early and we can get on and eradicate it if it does come in. Um, but the other thing is, as I said earlier, we're all backed by enormous departments with uh, emergency response teams, et cetera, et cetera. So after the, uh, there'll be a massive surveillance effort to try and work out how far any new incursion has got to, and then that'll determine what happens. But uh, that whole process is run, this is where Stuart can jump in, uh, by the um, a plant health committee at the uh, federal level where the grains industry are represented by GPA. Um, yeah, yeah. And so, um, and, and this is the, the cost shared. So we recognise, um, both government and industry recognise that there's benefits to both parties about um, eradication. So as Colin said, a dollar invested in the early stage is going to save you $30 um, down the track. So this is where it's um, cost shared. So under a an agreement known as the deed, um, governments and industry come together to, as Jim said, identify how far has this particular pest and disease um, 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 established or, or how far has it got. Um, then, they, then we work out um, an eradication um, plan as to how we're going to, um, and, and then action that plan. So we're going to eradicate it, um, make sure there's a lot of tracebacks. We've heard a lot of um, tracing with COVID. Um, there's a lot of that tracing um, happens within a, um, um, any sort of incident or interception um, that, that we trace back. So um, on-farm record keeping is really important. So we know where seed may have come from or where you may have sold seed or grain to, um, you know, so we can try to piece together how far this may have spread. Um, but and then that, you know, dedicated team to come through and, um, and, and, eradicate um, if if eradication is technically and economically feasible to, to process that there's um so that um, gpa are part of that decision making process but that's with together with other affected industries as well as the nine 
governments sitting around the table and what we call um, the national management group um, that will ultimately um, sign off on the, um, the budget to, to control it. The reason why we you know, really focus on that cost sharing agreement is that we don't want um, um, the finances or a lack of finance to be a reason for not trying to eradicate this disease. There's too much at stake. We've got to make sure the money's there available, the mechanisms there available to allow us to do that and just get on and deal with it. Um, we, can, we do a lot of preparation um, beforehand, but knowing that every incident, every interception is unique in its own way, it's in a different geography or a different port or a different beetle or a different bug or a disease or a different whatever it might be, you can't be 100% you know, prepared that we've got to allow enough for that, um, the dealing with it as the issue, issue arises and developing that, that plan. I think it's interesting the on-farm recording, record keeping, um, whether it's, I don't know about your previous experiences, whether it's digital or paper-based and how that can actually play a role in the outside value of actually digital record keeping more so for this new ag tech, there's a lot of this sort of stuff and farmers are a bit wary what's going on. Um, yeah. You did buy grain on farm and it did happen to have a biosecurity risk and you sort of locked it up in the silo. Uh, Just where that's come from, identifying who sold it, if that was a second purchase off that again, um, how vital that information can play out. Whether you use it once, 20 years, probably that barrier is going to save where Colin was saying that 15 billion um, could be wiped off the industry for the year. Yeah. Exactly. So we, we have done some surveys trying to look at understanding the different technologies that farmers are using to, um, you know, to, to store those, you know, on-farm records, whether it be, you know, Phoenix um, or um, um, AgWorld or, you know, things like that. Um, so that while there's not, you know, um, a, a large market player that dominates the industry, there's a few different products that have got a good, a good hold on in the industry, but it's still, you know, I think the figures were about 30% of farmers still use pen and paper um, for their record keeping. So um, it's not, you know, we, we don't want to necessarily pick and choose. Um, it doesn't matter where it's pen, pen and paper or, or digital, but recording, that's the, the message, you know, record, um, you know, and then ultimately we'll transfer those, um, you know, pen and paper will ultimately, you know, transfer to digital. Um, but doing that more automation, using barcodes, using barcode readers for chemical drums, all those sort of things. Um, is going to help 100%. I think if, if you think about biosecurity um, in the same context of, of COVID, Jack, yeah. and it is handy that we've got a lot of money that's ready to be invested um, in, you know, or there is money available from levies that can be invested into research and other projects around biosecurity. Mm. But uh, the experience of COVID has shown us, you know, technology is not the be all and end all. There can be a lot of gaps in the system, but we can certainly put ourselves in a, a much stronger position by applying that sort of thinking to how we can future-proof our industries or at least minimise the risk. Um, you know, let's hope there's no limousine drivers in Sydney with, with a uh, uh, Capra Beetle on, on the vehicle somehow going out to farms. But also what we can do or farmers can do, you know, if you think about um, sea containers moving on the farm, you know, you just want to look that in a different context. There's a lot more movement of sea containers across the globe now. There's a lot more movement of people. There's going to be a lot more people on the planet in future. So our job to grow more food to feed the world is becoming bigger. And that means there's going to be more food moving around the globe and more people. So that means biosecurity is going to be a, a bigger issue or the potential risks are bigger. So we need to really forward think how we go about this to protect growers in our industry and um, and take advantage of any technologies we can, but also to look at a sea container and think, you know, there's a lot more of those things moving around the globe. Has that been somewhere in another country? Not just, geez, I need to get that job done because I need to go to the pub Friday night or, and we know farmers are busy like everyone else is, but maybe stop for a moment and think, hang on, I just want to check that that uh, is free from any risk and, and double check um, before you let it onto your, your farm property. I think that goes into the farmer. We wear many hats. We're not like other businesses where you'd have a biosecurity officer. I think that farmer and the employees are each their own biosecurity officer. Um, unfortunately, yeah. I'd love to hire a biosecurity officer, but not all achievable on farm. 
how we deal with that individually. I think Railway Bank um, predicted an estimate of 23 million and a half or something um, hectares sown this year. So that's the record breaking. So this harvest is going to be a bit of a buster for Australia um, in terms of grain. So I suppose keeping that mentality fresh for biosecurity on the world markets to keep others out there thinking Australia is green. We're quite on top of all of our standards um, and just making sure that we're reducing risk both on the farm level, but also on the port level, on the grain sites as it's exported. There's plenty of exporters across Australia, um, each having a go, but where are they playing at our biosecurity wise? That's right. It's, it's not a sexy topic necessarily, except when Jim's putting out a press release, I beg to differ. But it's, it's critically important. And I, I mean, I remember uh, I was working in the press gallery as a personal story, but when the Johnny Depp issue broke out about the dogs coming in, and I think most, most of the journalists and people writing about it were fascinated um, what the connection was between what Barnaby Joyce was saying about the concern with these dogs sneaking through the border, or what that actually meant in terms of the national interests. And in a way, it was a, a stroke of brilliance to raise the issue of biosecurity. Um, some may disagree with that, but it's certainly got people talking about biosecurity. And that's our view, P, uh, GPA working with PHA and extending to the work that Jim does on the ground, um, getting out onto farm. Um, you know, we can't talk about it enough in terms of how important it is and, and how important it is in terms of our responsibilities um, to protect the industry. And that, you know, there's a lot of um, work that we do that protects our peers as well around that and I guess that's why it's involved in the levy system make sure that there's that investment there and experts like Stuart um, and that's how we work at uh, GPA you know when there are issues to deal with they bring all those state and federal experts together and you know it does come down to some questions around cost allocations yeah. as well as part of our responsibilities but also um, you know getting the advice from them uh, about what the risks are is critically important for all growers. I think maybe trying to make it a bit more sexier for the industry just to take it on board. If Johnny Depp was bringing across two bushels of wheat, I think it would have been a bit different how people would play it. They would, just because they're dogs um, and that risk is cuter than a couple of bags of wheat, I think that's how it plays out in people's mind a lot more. Um, but more so the farmers. the farmers know what's going to impact their own farm. What we do at our boundary, but also Australia as a whole. Yeah, yeah. Spot and there's, there's, there's some of those. There are pests and diseases that um, wreck, um, that do. I'll use the term yeah loosely in um, in air air quotes if I could um, respect the um the farm boundary and fences. Um, but there's some of them that um, market access related pests. So you mentioned before 23 million hectares a crop. Even if we grew two ton per hectare, you know, close to 50 million tons of grain, um, of which some are accessing markets because we are free of certain pests and diseases and we can sell at a higher at a higher rate at a premium um, now if if we don't demonstrate that we're free of some of these pests or if we get some of these pests um, and now we can't access those markets that you know the markets either close um, or they you know significant reduction in price we've seen what happened with um, uh, China and Bali you know when we lose a market overnight um, we, we do we do bounce back and the grains industry has got a really good track record of um, in terms of resilience and bouncing back. Um, but that's, you know, it's an area where we need to think about too, when biosecurity market access and, and what happens on farm, how do, how do we respect that conversation and not treat, you know, other farmers just because something happened on their farm and they were the one to stick their hand up and said, I've got a disease um, that there's no connotation industry are proud of that that they that they raised it and reported it and not seen as a, a villain or someone that oh they, they must farm worse than us because they got the disease and we didn't i think that's an important conversation to have yeah maybe taking away the stigma of it but coming together collectively that was what i was just about to touch on um i tried to encourage everyone to take one key takeaway home with them implement it or use it as motivation but hopefully for the broader community, the 10 farmers around them, um, coming together as a collaboration of farmers, not farming together, but they're your neighbours. Would that be able to work 
better for biosecurity. I'd imagine if you were already doing it now, just to enhance their region um, and reduce the risk of biosecurity, how that can play out. Do you think that is a good example of how farmers, especially when you're dealing with 50,000 acres, hectares, whatever, of crop going ahead? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, it, it does, it, um, it touches on area-wide management, how we do, how we manage our crops, not within the paddock, but um, across a district. So we know when a particular pest, even if they're endemic, something like striped rust, something like um, aphids in canola, something like, you know, crown rot, if someone's picking it up early, then we know to go out and look. We know to share that sort of reporting, that crop monitoring. There's no... Um, not a lot of competition in there. You're not going to lose any money by sharing information. Um, but I think it's giving you a good heads up um, about to get out there and start looking, get on top of it early. Um, the earlier you get on top of it, the more money you can save. Yeah, You're lucky too, if I can say, Jack. We're all so interconnected now with, I mean, I follow hundreds of farmers on Twitter and there's Facebook groups and all sorts of um, online and social media now. We've all got um, uh, such great access to information um, whether it be at the paddock level or um, uh, or district wide or even nationwide, so it's um, it's a great opportunity really, and it's uh, to share information and knowledge. Um, and it, no one's as isolated as I guess you know we once were because we're just uh, so interconnected. So yeah, information's out there if you want it. Yeah, absolutely, and essential. Check it out. I um, farm Twitter is probably the best thing that I get to do. Have a look at it all day. Colin would know best. He's a good little tweeter um but yeah it's a fantastic way to know things in one second i sorted our erosion problem and already had some ag tech on the job just before this call actually um so yeah if you've got a question out there ask we're all neighbors in the end um within farming but that goes to play into um dealing with services with biosecurity within australian grain producers uh, agronomists are well known how how can farmers use these different services um, using the government branches like yourself there, Jim, and Stuart for yourself at Plant Health Australia and the service above probably, which um, GPA, which is the umbrella of all of this. How can myself and other farmers out there utilise these services, communicate with our agro um, to prevent these risks on our own farm in our region? I'll jump in first, if you like. Um, so as I said earlier, a lot of these services are free. So initially, um, go to the, the Plant Health Australia website, um, or it's even linked through other GPA or um, under Grains Biosecurity, and, and just do the uh, the quick biosecurity online training. So it's a quick sort of questionnaire to see uh, where you're at with your biosecurity, and you may learn some tips and some tactics to uh, moving forward. Um, contact your biosecurity officer in each state and again that information's on um, the websites but we can you can start with a biosecurity gate sign you know they're free they're paid for by the levy hang up a couple of gate signs at your main entrances and then people uh, practice then to contact you before they come on to your property uh, that way you can see what sort of a risk they might pose uh, to your property um, but a good start a great start I think is the biosecurity um, manual. It's actually a booklet more than a manual. It's only about sort of 20 pages with lots of pictures, but it, it really goes into what biosecurity is in simple terms and then what are some of the tactics you can implement uh, at the paddock level um, to prevent pests and diseases spreading. So that manual, um, I'll call it a booklet, manual might sound scary, um, it is a great start uh, as long, along the lines, along with, sorry, the online training uh, and then giving us a call or sending us an email and we can, we do run workshops. We were at all, we, now that COVID's finished, we're at the field days, GRDC seminars and updates. Uh, we run training, um, all sorts of things. So I also go out onto farm to check, um, put traps out to check uh, for capra beetle or test grain, uh, collect the bugs and see if they're resistant to phosphine. So uh, the complete sort of service now, uh, which is good that we can allowed outside. So um uh, I'll give you a long list, but yeah, start with the booklet, the booklet I reckon. Yeah. Last one, Jim, just so that we can locate these branches, when you talk about we, who should the farmer be getting in touch with? Well, well, can, we can, can be, oh, sorry, Stuart. Yeah, the um, contact details, Jack. If, if people go to grainsbiosecurity.com.au, yep. um, that's got all the contact details for each of the biosecurity officers um, in each of the states. 
their, their contact details um, if you want to contact them directly. Um, or as Jim said, at the um, this spring's um, field days, there will be a, um, a presence from either GPA or the um, biosecurity officer too that they can engage. Grains Biosecurity, so Grains plural, grainsbiosecurity.com.au. Beautiful. I'll have that in the show notes as well. And I think I'll have a look at that training course and I'll slap that up um, and people, they can do it as a refresher or they can do it as a new start into the program. Yeah. And what I really wanted to reinforce, Jack, was that you know growers are paying for these services, the resources there that Jim's just outlined, the expertise of people like Stuart and, um, and GPA's role. You know, we've been doing this for a long time behind the scenes. And GPA's role has been to make sure we get value for that money. And it goes into improving and strengthening those biosecurity protections. So really just want people to know that this is what we're doing. Uh, I mean, if people have any great high level ideas about how we can advocate to get better outcomes, um, or they want to get involved, then they're welcome to reach out to GPA because ultimately it's your business that we're, we're protecting working with these different groups and um, and it's your money that's being invested. And obviously the, the GRDC does research in that area as well. So how we share that responsibility, as I said, and improve shared accountability to make sure this stuff doesn't get here to start with. Um, but if it does, we, you know, we get rid of it quicker. The, um, the grains industry, Jack, is um, in a pretty unique position in the fact that um, we're not 100% reliant on government for our biosecurity you know, for our post-border on-farm biosecurity stuff. Through GPA, um, you know, the industry is investing more than other industries, um, you know, percentage-wise, levy-wise, doesn't matter, um, is investing more into biosecurity. So that's why we've got people like Jim um, and others dotted around the country that don't turn off when we get a change of government, um, that they are there, they've got long-term plans, they are there committed to to engaging with industry and um, and making sure that that um, um, growers know what to look out for and what they need to do um, about it um, in terms of either preparation or how to report it. Um, so these these programs are in place. They are paid for by growers, um, and um, you know it's a service to be used. Yeah, exactly. We all have like a, a baiting pro- programming um, cropping programs, and. We also need that biosecurity program or on our own farm and probably easily searchable, these templates that can be slapped straight into your own scenario. No farm's the same. Um, I've never seen a farm the same. So farmers out there, just manoeuvre it into your own sort of enterprise and see how it works there and try reduce the risk. If we're running a fox bait program, we want our neighbours to as well. So that biosecurity plays out the same sort of way in how that can reduce the risk, kill off the fox um, and improve our yield all overall. All right. $10 for the scalp. Yeah. Absolutely. But before you go... Should we put a, should we put a bounty on the on the capra beetles' heads as well at the borders? Jeez, I'd like yeah. a scalp of a capra beetle. As long as, as long as people don't start farming them and breeding them up just to get some more money. <laughs> Probably happen. Um, yeah. Before you go, Stuart, Jim and Colin, what would be your one piece of farms advice that you would give to a farmer um, looking to start on his own farm at farm level as well without going into the politics of it all? Well, I can go first if you like. Yeah. Don't be overwhelmed. It's, yeah. it's simple steps. Um, small steps, just keep it simple, um, ask for advice. The, the information's out there, but access it when you're ready. Um, yeah, but don't get overwhelmed by it. That's be my message. Yeah, that's a wise one, Jim. Yep. Awareness and action, mine. Be aware of what's happening around you. And be aware of what your crops are telling you um, and take action. Either control it, ask for advice, tell someone. Yeah. From Jim, Colin. Yeah, well, as I said, you know, your your levy money is going into improving biosecurity, um, how you want to engage with that and invest in that and those resources that are available in your own business uh, is a choice. It's, an, it's also an investment in, of your time into building a, a stronger industry. And I, I look at it a bit like I do if you want to go back to a, a cricketing cliche, but 
you know, you've got a, a number of specialist skills coaches down at the club, batting, bowling or fielding or wicket keeping or spin bowling. And you can choose whether or not you want to engage in those resources to get better at that particular skill and, you know, to be a better all round player and performer. So, you know, those resources are there. We encourage people to, to engage with them and use them, um, including GPA. Beautiful. Well, Colin, Stuart and Jim, thanks for coming on the Farmers Advice podcast, passing on your own piece of Farmers Advice, but also dealing with this topic that won't just be covered in one episode. We'll be covering it initially. So every guest I've actually had on, I ask them after the episode, what's the three biggest things that they think impacting agriculture? All of them, without doubt, have said biosecurity. So it is in the minds of everyone going around. Um, but... Thank you, great heads coming together here today for biosecurity and the better of Australian agriculture and grain producers. Thank you for tuning in to the Farms Advice podcast. It is produced by Advertorise Digital, the agribusiness marketing specialist. Go to farmsadvice.com.au for more information on this episode and the others before and spread the Farms Advice. If you love this episode, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe as it helps other farmers find us too. But until then, next Tuesday, keep on farming. In the spirit of reconciliation, the Farms Advice podcast acknowledges the traditional custodians of country for Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respect to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.